أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله Dear brothers and sisters, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and welcome to another Ilmfeed podcast episode. Uh, I feel really happy to hear from so many sisters and brothers uh, in the last episode commenting, you know, after Dr. Haifa was with us, uh, commenting about where the, where you're from because we were talking about all the places that the Ilmfeed family are from, you know, everyone listening uh, and I found out that subhanallah we we we've got listeners from all sorts of places I didn't even uh, imagine mashallah so welcome to all of you and please do share uh the Ilmfeed podcast with your family and friends so that more and more people can benefit alhamdulillah today I've got a lovely guest uh her name is Dr Mahira Ruby Dr. Mahira is a teaching fellow at UCL Institute of Education and visiting fellow at Goldsmiths. Her PhD focused on intergenerational learning in families who originate from Bangladesh. She graduated from the University of Sussex in chemistry and she spent the best part of her voluntary and professional life talking and listening to people from all sorts of backgrounds. During her time as a research fellow at Goldsmiths, she co-authored her first book, Interconnecting Worlds, Teacher Partnerships for Bilingual Learning, and Family Jigsaws, Grandmothers as the Missing Piece, Shaping Bilingual Children's Learner Identities. MashaAllah, and hopefully we're going to go into some of that today. Assalamu alaikum, Dr. Mahira. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. How are you? Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. We bumped into each other, didn't we? Yes. Uh, because you're at UCL and that's kind of next door to SOAS. Yes. So, mashallah. That was a lovely uh, interaction. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> surprise, mashallah. Yeah. I didn't realize you, you were there. So um, please tell us a little bit about your background. You know, um, uh, are you a first generation uh, Bangladeshi yeah. from in, in Britain? Or mm-hmm. tell us a bit more about your background. Yeah, so... Um, I'm from a family of uh, nine siblings, and uh, mashallah. And my father came to the UK in the late, uh, early 70s, um, and we joined him. Um, so, eight of us uh, with my mom, we came and joined him here mm. um, in 1980. So, I was about eight years old. Um, so, when we came to this country, uh, eight siblings, uh, my mom had experiences of sort of living in the city a bit. Uh, so my, my father was an academic uh, as well uh, when before when he was in Bangladesh. And he came to this country uh, as a minister of religion. So he he was uh, an imam here. Mashallah. Um, so back home, his, his academia was in Islamic studies, Arabic and Islamic studies. Um, so when, when we came to join him here, um, so my mum had eight children between the ages of 20 and uh, my younger sister was born when she when we came here um so yeah so we came in 1980 and uh, we started school locally so me and my 
uh, older sister, we went joined uh, local primary school. Uh, my younger two siblings, they they went to the nursery. So we we kind of set up home in Tower Hamlets. Um, okay, so that's East London. East London. Yeah. So what was wonderful uh, was that the sense of community that was here. Mm-hmm. So when we first came, it was a friend of my dad's who uh, we we stayed with. Uh, so his family was back home in Bangladesh. So we came and stayed at their place. Um, and it was just the generosity of the community that was already here um, that that welcomed us. Um, and I, I do mention this in, in one of my books, that what what sort of hit us when we first came, particularly me and my reflection of uh, of coming here, was the, the change in uh, weather. <clears throat> so it was snowing when we came, so it was February. <laughs> uh, it yeah. was just white. Everything was just white. Uh, and that cultural shift um and and also seeing so a bit of my background in terms of growing up here was seeing how my mum uh transferred her life from a village it takes a village to raise a child so coming from that sort of village uh background um and trying to get us to have better opportunities at education so we then went me and my older sister went and stayed with my sister who was married so that we could have a better access to education with her so separation from children um mm. so she had to juggle quite a lot um she used to take care of my grandfather so he was very reliant on because she was the eldest bride um uh, the daughter-in-law in the in the family so she had a lot of responsibilities which she had to sort of severe and then come here to a a a, a a flat on the fourth, fifth floor um, of a high-rise building. Um, there was a lot of racism mm-hmm. uh, in the local area the, uh, and just being able to protect her children. But the other interesting thing was uh, seeing that we were othered in our own community. So at school, uh, there weren't many Asian children, but the Asian children that were there was from a different part in Bangladesh. And so I, I ended up spending a lot of time with uh, children from other uh, backgrounds, so white, mm-hmm. black, mixed race, you know. And uh, one of the ways I would I would vent that um, energy in a way was to play a lot. So I would, I would play basketball, whatever was going, football. Mm-hmm. Um, and... At home, there was a bit of tension with my mom because I'm a girl and uh, navigating all of that. But my brothers, you know, as siblings, we were really, really close. So what then started to form was this watching uh, my mom become a community activist. Uh, Mm. But her environment was that women didn't go out. They were very much at home looking after the family um and uh the the men were very much the activists and they're going around so my father in essence was the leader in the community he was very involved in the community uh and my mom uh was supposed to be the carer the the mother the homemaker uh but what we what we started seeing was she was she was organizing in the community so she would drop us off to school and and uh, speak to the women who mm-hmm. would come to drop the children off uh, and she realized that it, there wasn't a possibility of gathering anywhere else. So she used to capture those snippets and moments that she would get with women. And at the time, people weren't wearing hijab. Uh, yeah. Those who were were very uh, closed off from the community. So there was a, a lot of dynamics going on. Uh, but mashallah, what, what she found a route to the community, she started to teach children in our home, mm. um, Arabic. Uh, she wasn't very well lettered in Arabic uh, in terms of the reading. 
And so as a family, we used to we used to spend time at the weekends, particularly in the morning after Fajr, reading Quran together. And I used to observe, this is my personal observation of my mum, that she would learn to read Quran from my brothers and my father. And then in the evening, she used to teach the children. So her journey of learning um, mm. and equipping herself, uh, there, was, there was a certain amount of desperation, uh, the, the passion to create change. And the reason I'm sharing this story is because, you know, I feel that uh, she, my journey with her, there was times where we didn't get on as mother and daughter. Uh, there was a lot of tension between us and uh, resistance. But how she then became my absolute role model mm -hmm. <clears throat> of who I want to be, what I want to do, and how my life, mashallah, alhamdulillah, has come to a point where I see that I'm carrying on from where she left off in some ways. Uh, Is your mom still with us? No. no. So, oh. uh, subhanAllah, she, she passed away in 2014. And that was a mm. that was a, uh, a, a marker on all our lives of the, uh, her janaza was a testimony to all the lives she had touched. touched. Wow. Uh, SubhanAllah, you know, it was here uh, at the London Muslim Centre. Um, and we had to open up floors, we had to open up uh, halls to accommodate, although there were other janazas happening, uh, the, the sheer number of people who who came to the janazah was a testament. To this day, my dad always says, how does she manage? Where does she have the time raising eight children, um, doing the work she did? How does she have the time? And it was just watching her multitask, not waste any time, uh, and, and then be able to spend time with the children as well. Uh, we very quickly realized we're not the center of her world. But we are a part of the world she wanted to create. And that's become my kind of motto in a way mm -hmm. that we, we focus so much on fixing certain things in our lives. But actually that consume us and, mm. and take, our, take our attention away from other important things. And maybe doing the other important things may give the thing that you're focusing on so much the space to take some ownership. Mm. Uh, and it's an amazing lesson that I've taken on board from my mum's uh, journey, how she facilitated my father to be the community leader, but actually she was the change maker. Mm, uh, she was the backbone. She was the backbone. The thing. Yeah, oh, and, sure. and women's role and mm. what does feminism mean actually, you know, what does being a Muslim woman mean? Is that, It's a lot to... Uh, take on yeah but she left a very powerful uh example mashallah. so when you say uh community leader do you mean a like a religious was he a, a religious leader in what yes, capacity so, was your um he was he was an imam in uh in different parts of the country but when mm. we joined my memory of him was that he was he was uh a chair of the board of trustees at the masjid uh, okay, here, mashallah. Uh, mashallah. So in that sense, he was he was doing uh, his role as as the chair of a, a masjid, but also he was very much part of organising in the community. So the halakas, the the programs, as a community organisation that he was a part of. Um, the why I mentioned my mum is because the women weren't very much part of that fabric. Okay. of activism or just mm. it, it, activism in the nature that where you where you there's personal development it starts mm. off with personal development which then breeds the uh desire to change others who may not have access to it 
So it's mm-hmm. a roll-on, it's a ripple effect uh, that happens. And ultimately, it's the women that raise the children uh, yeah. a certain part of their life and has a lot of interaction with the children. So my mum was able to uh, organise that part. The resistance from the men was that we are out, we do that, women need to look after the home. It, it was very traditional in, mm. in a lot of cultures. We have that idea. But what was different was that my mum was given the opportunity by my dad, I guess, to be able to feed that part of her need. She needed companionship. And what we noticed was that where women were suffering from mental health issues, isolation, that can trigger off lots of other things, women were beginning to generate circles of support mm. where they just talk about their children and learn a bit of Quran. And yeah. uh, and ma- mainly it was just that what we call now coffee mornings, yeah, yeah? Mm. Uh, where women would get together and just look after each other. Yeah, uh, and it was it was it was such an amazing insight and foresight that my mum managed to have. Uh, maybe learning from what my dad did, mm. and being able to observe what was happening parallel, that she could do something like this for the women. But it was all I think it started off with a need of hers wanting to be met. So yes. she needed companionship. She came from a village. She came from an environment where there was lots of women there mm. to support her, to be with her. Because um, they knew what community was. Absolutely, right? absolutely. I'll tell you a funny story. Like my dad tells me that when he first arrived in the UK, this was like in uh, 1978 or something, mm. uh, he said he was met by um, Dr. Khalim Siddiqui, who mm-hmm. was from the Muslim Institute at yes. that time. And he was the one who invited my dad. And he said he, he found a note, I think it was in his flat that mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Kalim had set up for him. And it said, um, and you know, like you, like you mentioned, the weather. Yes. That's the first thing that kind of hit everyone, yeah. right? Yeah. Like coming from India. Yes. Like, you know. And he, was, uh, he said that the note said, welcome to this God-forsaken country. <laughs> SubhanAllah. <laughs> welcome to this God-forsaken country. And uh, he, he meant the weather, mm. you know. Uh, you know, I hope you like the weather type thing. So, I think we c- we can't underestimate what a big change it yes, was yes. for the men and the women mm. who came over here. But what I find interesting, and by the way, no wonder you're interested in family because yes. <laughs> you know everything you just told us. Yeah, mashallah, a big family. Mm. You're you're seeing lots of generations Absolutely. interacting. You're, yes, there was a time where I felt quite uh, overwhelmed by. Uh, the cultural kind of setup and the and the makeup and the expectations. Um, so when I did want to go away to university, there was a part of me that wanted to escape mm. this this community. And Allah's mercy, you know, Alhamdulillah, I think you know he 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 knew what I needed, obviously, and uh, and and the making of me. So luckily, Alhamdulillah, my brother was going to the same university, so it coincided and my father agreed. Yeah. Uh, and I, I make dua for him to this day, you know, sure. Alhamdulillah, that was the just what I needed to break that cycle of uh, negativity, in mm. a way, o- about the community. Um, and, uh, you know, going away to university, my mum and dad dr- uh, went with us, with my brother, dropped us off there. We were in different halls, but my halls, I was sharing with five other Muslim girls, and that in itself, I don't think happened before, mm. and I don't think it happens now. But alhamdulillah, while I was there, there was that opportunity for me to be in a in a flat uh, hostel, sort of you know university campus, with other other Muslim girls. 
And the, but it was when they left, you know, watching their backs <laughs> go off into the car, it really hit me that, oh my God, I'm by myself. Now I yeah. can't blame anybody. <laughs> uh, now it's the onus is on myself to be the character that I want to be. Mm. Uh, and my mom, although she was a very public figure uh, in the community, uh, she was very quiet on certain things, which is also a powerful thing that when my dad made a decision, she would respect it. But we knew she didn't like it very much. Mm. So the fact that I was I went to, away to university, um, I don't think she it sat well with her. Yeah. Being a mother, I can totally understand now <laughs> yeah. um, of all the potential things that could happen. And I don't, to this day, I, I always think, how did my father agree so easily? My brother mm. was there, alhamdulillah, I had a mahram there. And it was, it was, but I just needed that space, like I was saying, eyes to be off me, to be able to know who I am mm. uh, and to be able to uh, analyze myself and reflect. Definitely. And it was a journey. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I and I needed that because that's what made me come back every weekend to be yeah. part of the Muslim community that I was trying to run away from. And it wasn't the Muslim community I was trying to run away from. It was the cultural community. Mm. Uh, and it's the deen that pulled me back, the halakas, the circles that I used to. I used to we used to have a, a circle at the time, uh, a Settle Street circle, we used to call it. And, we used oh, yeah. to, I, and I used to come okay. back for that warmth, the sisterhood. Sure. Uh and and that's what kept me going, having that dose once a week and then going back to university and refocusing on what I needed to be. I was the only hijabi on campus, mm. uh, on my course, the only Muslim woman. You know, I ticked all the boxes. Um, and and just being a part of the tick, tick box exercise, is that what I wanted to be? Mm. And it started to mean, my mum's role started to mean more and more to me, that I can shape my identity, I can shape my yeah. trajectory of where I want to be. SubhanAllah, uh, it's like, so, um, it's when we leave our parents, isn't it, yes. for the first time, that's when we, where we realise all yeah. the kind of things that they've been doing for us Absolutely. and that we've been taking for granted. Yes. And yeah, yeah I, I completely um, uh, identify with that. Um, I met some teenagers actually um, last week and one of them was asking me, you know, about moving away from home yeah. uh, for university and the pros and cons of it. And, and I think you've kind of, highlighted that really i mean the the pros of it are that you do you do have a bit of an adventure i would say yes yes absolutely <laughs> right um you get to um find out who you really are mm. what what your personality really is and the things get a bit of time by yourself yeah. to think about you know where you want to go mm. and where you've been mm. uh, and just take stock of things and you know and and become a bit more mm. uh self-reliant i guess yeah. But on the other side, there is that, especially when you're young, mm. that loneliness, isn't there? Yes. <laughs> when, when, when your family is yeah. not around. Mm. Um, and uh, quite quickly, the kind of glamour of it mm. can Fade. wear thin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's important uh, for people considering yeah. moving away from family yes. for studies to, to bear all of mm. that in mind. That, mm. you know, having family around is like such a big safety net absolutely it helps you to kind of not have to think about quite a lot of things mm, yeah. um and that we don't realize um, yeah. but at the same and time it was, yeah. it was interesting because i think having my brother there uh, and and having uh a setup at home where we tended to eat together yeah um 
and so that that transported itself to the campus so we one of the things we agreed uh, and which we did as long as we were there was that we would always eat together in the evening me and That's my brother nice. yeah sure and for for me what that did was you know about the loneliness mm-hmm. uh, on one side it filled that loneliness sort of um fed that uh, there's somebody here on the other side i knew there was a set of eyes <laughs> uh but he never imposed at all in that way mm. but just having that connection every evening i knew i had to do him proud i knew yeah. you know there's a brother here that's and it's again it's about the space the the trust and what it does it look like um and he had every right to pull me up on so many things but he always gave me the space and i because we had that meal together i would share things and say this happened what do you think that happened and and it, nice. it just yeah and that's what meals do mm. you know facilitating family meals facilitating togetherness like that opens up a safe space where you can where you can share um and i think that was ultimately my mum's comfort as well knowing that he's there uh, he's quite a, a bit older than me so that mature uh, figure had there to look after me as well Jazakallah khairan uh, Dr Mahira you are a parenting coach as well mashallah yes. uh i wanted to ask you you know what do you see as in in our times you know the what do you see the role of parenting coaches or parenting courses as being in our community why do we need them yeah um and that's the question we always battle with isn't it yeah. so sort of um why yeah because it, our parents needed, didn't yeah, need them did they? they didn't need them <laughs> yeah um that's the argument ma- yeah that that is an argument um <laughs> and i think although we say that our parents didn't need them they had more of a cir- circle of support than we did uh mm. maybe uh growing up back home but also coming here family dynamics are changing mm. so where you where we knew our parents my particularly mothers we knew that our moms are at home if i was sick i'd be able to come home if i the school could call and there's somebody at home that i could come to the worry and the anxiety for our children has shifted slightly where they where there's two working parents they wonder if i'm off sick this week is it going to put my parents out can they find childcare can they you know there's a lot of worry that actually our children also take on board mm. um when it comes to parenting what i've uh, realized is that and i've been fascinated by this for a long long time and a lot of my studies uh, and and my education has in a way become a part of what i do so i've always wanted to be in a place where i have access to the youth uh i have access to parents but i have access to schools you know sort of the the education system mm. uh because it's a triangulation it's it's a way you all have to work together mm. and i remember the first time where i realized this is that i thought i could change the lives of young people and families through teaching and i after my i graduated um uh you know i i was married in my second year of my degree uh had two children and i had to defer my pgce a couple of times So I decided to go into teaching um and I and secondary in particular because I thought teenagers like me we have a lot of struggles we couldn't share with the community we alhamdulillah there was that we had the circles we had a circle of support to a certain degree um but when I started my um teaching <clears throat> there was one and I was in, interested in the home school visits the links and I still struggle with this home school link as it, we say it but it's actually school home links you don't get much of homeschool links what you do get is school telling parents and families what to do and how to do it yeah they parent in the home 
So I, you know, I, I have, uh, I challenged that uh, label as well. So what I became involved in was this homeschool support where teachers would go home for troubled children and visit the home. So there was one particular visit that I did with a, a head of year. And when we visited the home, um, this mother could not believe, she had other children, but this teenager was going off the rails, this young boy. And to me, it seemed pretty true. I could see where the root could be. He wasn't getting the positive attention that he required. And in school, what tends to happen is the naughty children, will, uh, there's so much negative attention given with positive incentive, if that makes sense. So you get sent to the head teacher and they say to you, you can access some lovely thing that's paid for, go to the museum. So we, we invest, and it's, it's, it's a confusing place for the child to be at. One, on the one hand, you're being disciplined or punished. On the other hand, you're getting all these nice incentives to be better. Whereas the good coasting kids, children, young people, they're expected to just carry on because they're good. And there's no recognition in except for a, maybe a 100% uh, certificate for attendance. And you, there's not much that goes into investing in them. So anyway, on this home visit, what I was taken back by was a shock on the mother's face of her child being in trouble. And how could it be? My child is so good at home. He's an angel. He's this, he's that. And the teacher saying, well, no, we've written to you here. We've said to you there. So the parents are kind of in a denial of what their child is up to and thinking it's a phase. They will get, go out of, you know, come out of it. Teenagers, it's a phase. You know, my husband did it, I did it, whatever. And then they'll come out and they'll be okay. And it was that experience that actually made me realize, is that parent in denial because she doesn't want to see her child in a bad light? Or are they in a denial because they don't have the tools to deal with it? Mm. Yeah? yeah? So is she in denial because she doesn't know what to do? What do I do? As soon as I acknowledge that my child is bad or not going on the right path and not engaging, the teacher's going to leave and they have a set of tools and resources to deal with it at school. But what do I have? Hmm. I've just been told my child is a bad child right. or is not on track. Now what do I do? So when people don't have the tools, yeah. they tend to gloss over the problems gloss over the problem, and paper over the cracks and yeah. just uh, yeah. pretend the problems don't exist. Yeah. And what what we what sometimes refer to it is like a spring effect. What happens then mm. is that you either focus on the child's behavior and you try to deal with it. So it becomes very behavior oriented. Mm. You're, you're a bad child. You're not doing this right. Why aren't you doing this? Why are you not doing that? You're not praying. You're not fasting. You're not doing your homework. Yeah, you're picking on your sibling. So we try to, we sort of focus, <coughs> excuse me, on their behavior or we take it out on ourselves. I've done mm. so much, you're not grateful. I've sacrificed so much, you're not, you're not, at least do it for me. Right. Have respect for me, honor me as a parent and behave. But what's missing there is a connection with the child as a child, not projecting my story onto them. Yeah, and my experience onto them and my value system, which might coincide with theirs, but I don't know because I haven't really built a relationship. So what then happens is the gap gets bigger and bigger and wider and wider, and you just start ranting and fighting over something where it's like the iceberg effect, where you focus on something that's in your face in front of you, but you're not dealing with the underlying issues that actually right. caused it. 
Dr. Maher, mm. can I take you back? Because, okay, I'm a real advocate, uh, you know, in, in our Muslim community for um, mothers focusing on the home. Okay, yeah. especially in the early years. And I would say focusing solely or mainly on the home. And the reason for that is, uh, apart from, you know, the fact that, you know, I have my own experience, uh, I, I read quite extensively mm. on the topic, you know, uh, psychologists, yeah. uh, books about um, babies and the effects of, you know, the attachment parenting mm -hmm. and having that, especially that one person mm -hmm. who's there, who's that constant uh, kind of uh, rock, mm -hmm. you know, who's just there. Um, and I feel that one of the beautiful things about Islam, about our deen, is that within our marriage contracts, yeah. there is this recognition of the fact that motherhood and looking after the home is such a, such a valued and such an immense project, I would say, right, mm -hmm. that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he removes the, uh, the kind of the burden, I would say, of having to provide for the family mm -hmm. from the shoulders of women mm -hmm. and from the shoulders of mothers. And he puts them quite squarely onto the shoulders of men. Yeah. Now, I know that, you know, cultures change, societies change, and there are, mm. there are certain shifts. And of course, like, you know, uh, especially as your children get older, mm. there are, mm, the child care needs us, they change, right? So it's, however, I do, some, I do worry, I must mm. say, about our community that, uh, for example, when I, uh, once, uh, when I went to Malaysia, and even in this country, you know, sometimes I'm, I meet sisters, mm. and when I'm talking about motherhood and things like that, and they'll come to me and they'll say, you know, I've just had a baby. Mm. My baby is just, you know, within the first year or whatever. And my whole family is pressuring me mm. to get to go to work. My whole family is pressuring me and saying, you know, I've got a degree. It's a, you know, you should be using your degree, right? As if mothering and raising the next generation of human beings is not, you know, enough of a worthy thing to do, you know, with your education, mm. you know? So sometimes I worry that the gift that Islam gave us as women, which is uh, to not carry that burden, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. and, and it's there for a reason, yeah. you know. Uh, I've read books like, for example, um, uh, Why Love Matters mm -hmm. by Sue Gerdhart, I believe. And in, in that book, she talks about how one of the greatest worries that women have is especially if they don't have a partner, so mm. single parents, is the financial burden. Mm. And it can be so great that it affects them, affects their parenting, right? Um, and in that you can see, subhanAllah, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for that very reason, uh, it seems one of the wisdoms is that he hasn't made that her primary concern. Yeah. In our societies, that's not the case. Mm. You know, people don't look at the roles of men and women in that way anymore. Uh, I mean, in the wider society. And sometimes I fear that one of the things that made our parents' generation strong was the fact that there was somebody focusing on the home, you know. So wouldn't you say that one of the key means, and I'm not talking now as, you know, maybe it might not be politically correct, mm -hmm. like to, to advocate this in a professional mm -hmm. setting, right? 
but within our Muslim community, um, as people who talk to women, and mm. wouldn't you say that one of the things that we've got to start advocating is that, you know what, we need people focusing on the home, especially in the early years. Mm -hmm. And something like looking after babies cannot just be, it's not the same, somebody who loves a child looking after them, okay, and somebody who's paid a minimum wage who has no connection with the child looking after them. There's just mm -hmm. no comparison, right? Yeah. Um, so don't you think that one of the things, key things that we need to start advocating again um, and saying to our sisters that it's okay, you know, <laughs> is being stay-at-home stay mums uh, or at least focusing on those early years especially, um, even if, it, if that's the sole and, uh, you know, the, the focal point of their uh, lives. Mm. Um, I totally, totally agree with you, and I think it's it's so important for women to be able to uh, own that narrative, yeah, uh, and and create that narrative Absolutely. and recreate that narrative, um, because it is so important that we understand what our core duties are um, as as men and women in a society. That's what keeps mm. the cog wheels going, and and normality to be present in, in the family uh, and in society, as families being the cornerstone of society. Um, what, uh, what I would say is that, you know, we, what I find from my work, and, I, and I, I can share lots and lots of stories from the parenting courses and the uh, coaching that I do, is what happens when you have um, a, a woman, a, a mother, uh, the expectation of society for her to sacrifice, and it's seen as a sacrifice, we see it as our role, mm. um, of primary role uh, uh, in, the, in the family, in the, in the community, but in wider society, and it, it is a matter of sacrifice. You sacrifice sleep, you sacrifice. There's a lot of sacrifice that is involved. And part of that sacrifice is equated with being selfless. Yeah? Mm. Uh, giving up a lot. So in an average uh, couple where you have the first child, the expectation, say, in our parents' generation, is that you wouldn't have heard of men doing the night shift. What is that? Mm. Right? Nappy changing. What is that? So that narrative has slowly started to change where men need to be more hands-on. You have paternity leave. You have some parts of Europe where it's longer uh, and the benefits of that in a child's life. So although we have this model of... Um, the, the father being the breadwinner and the mother being the uh, homemaker, mm -hmm. I don't think it's so black and white in Islam. I don't mm. think it's this image of, uh, it's about your mindset, it's about the lifestyle, it's about what you want to, how you want to live uh, as well. And as you earn more money, you want your eyes look upwards to better and uh, prettier lifestyle, I guess. But in terms of just looking at the basic uh, makeup of, of this child's, if, if we were to focus on a child, mm. what is the need from that child? That child needs the father as much as the mother yeah. uh, in order to be a whole child and access to grandparents, right? Extended family 
it is part and parcel of who you want to raise as a whole child. And I talk about this whole child mm. quite a lot. So in this whole child, this child isn't just being raised by the mother, the father, the grandparents, and extended family. There's teachers, there's Arabic teachers, there's so many neighbors, there's so many people involved in that child's life. And you're, and I agree with you totally that there has to be a gatekeeper to mm. facilitate all of those things, to monitor all of those things, to uh, sort of, um, at the end of the day, to reflect on who's had an impact and effect. Now, if this child is going from adult to adult, space to space, mm. that child, where does it offload at the end of the day? Where does it get to, where does that child, how do they navigate? So children are very, very resilient, and that's what I found from my research. Credit to the children and Allah subhanahu mercy on children, mm. yeah? But actually, as parents, even a, a, a stay-at-home mum, her complete role is just raising her children. You will see those children growing up to be quite unappreciative if that mother doesn't know the tools she needs to raise a whole child. Yeah. Yeah, how to discipline. Yeah, because you because, could be yeah. a disengaged... Yeah, disengaged mother, mother being at home. EastEnders all day, Absolutely. Right? <laughs> yeah. So it's not about who's at home and who's mm. not at home. It's about how equipped you are to yeah. be able to raise the children in the context that you're raising your children. So here in the UK, we are raising, and I always ask my parents, you know, how does Ali uh, Radha's hadith of play up to seven, teach up to 14, companionship up to, uh, from 14, how does it work with raising our children when they're seen as children up until 18 in, yeah, in the, in in the European, mm. uh, according to, you know, uh, the laws that we have. They're mm. seeing children as a child up to 18, but they say, can sign up to being part of the army. They mm. can have a consent, you know, marriage with consent from parents at the age of 16. There's a lot of discrepan discrepancy in, yeah. in the society that we live. Whereas mm. our um, rulings and our uh, lessons that we can learn from our deen is quite clear cut. It's, yeah. it's, it's uh, clear instructions which we need in our parenting. So going back to what you were asking that should, do we do we need to reshift that balance? Yeah. And yes, to a certain extent, I think those of us mothers who are working, mm. uh, women that work, they need to reset their mindset. That actually, what is my ultimate focus? Yeah. What is my focus? What is my? Because for me, working isn't bringing in the money. Mm -hmm. It's being accountable to the intellect and the capacity and the resources that I've been given. Yeah, mm -hmm. to be able to do that, but also to be a role model to my children, how they need to treat the next woman that they meet. Because mm. it's taken for granted for a lot of young people, because we don't have the tools often, that our children think, well, that women just serve. Women just stay at home. Women just do this. And what I learned from my mom is that although she didn't have a full-time job or a part-time mm -hmm. job, her dawah, her jama'ah, her community work, was like a full-time job yeah so what we learn from her is that you can be an amazing mother mm -hmm. you can also contribute yeah so what i say to new couples and i i, I do a course with new couples and couples to be um and i you know i say to them what is does this marriage mean to you yeah what are you expecting from mm -hmm. each other what is it you're expecting as a spouse but also as a worshiper yeah Ultimately, I have a higher role, a higher purpose as an individual, which I will be accountable to because you're not going to go to the grave with me. Yeah. 
So when you think about those kind of roles and the uh, the checks and balances that we need to do, I think it enriches our parenting mm. rather than take it away from us. And I do believe, and I sincerely believe, again, from my personal experience, that ideally a mother, if the capacity is there, shouldn't work until the child goes to school. Mm. which I try to practice, mm. that while at home, there are other things I can do. I, can I do think it. that's kind of more what I'm uh, yeah. getting at. Yeah, because yeah. I must say, like, you know, once we've had children, yeah. there's the responsibility that comes with that. Yeah. You know, it's not about me, me, me anymore. Yeah. You know? No, it's not. It's even, even if we were to look at it from, you know, the point of view of our intellectual, like, stimulation and things like that, I, I believe that mothering is as intellectually stimulating yeah. as you want to make it yeah. you know yeah. it depends on what you think being a mother is yeah. for me being a mother is a nation being a nation builder, builder. But you need knowledge for that you need right. to equip yourself for that mm -hmm. it cannot happen where you think i'm a mother now i'm at home and i focus on that right where do you seek that knowledge it is intellectual and I, that's what yeah. i want to home in on to that for women there's a it's a journey mm. and what we suffer from is being left out or left yeah. behind and we create that with each other. I don't mm. think, well, I don't want to bring men into the conversation, but I think it's just as women, if we focus on women, mm. when I speak to another sister, oh, you've got a degree, what are you doing with it? Mm. Yeah? And I have a baby, and I've just had a child, or I might have been in part-time work. So we may create this notion that you're missing out, or you're yes. being left behind, exactly. or your career's not going to be the same. You right. just got up to that ladder. Do you want to wait a couple of more years before you have a child? Yeah. Up to you get to that rank and then do that. So can you see how we sort of going on this journey that when am I ready? We didn't used to do that as much before. Yeah. So women's lives, we are changing where the ranks of that ladder is, mm. what comes before what. But actually, motherhood is such a beautiful, I mean, it's it's a it's a it's a mercy. It's it's me knowing that I'm a woman. Not everybody can have a child, mm. and that's again another story and another yeah. person's journey. But those of us who can, who has been blessed with that, yeah, is it advisable to put it on hold for the sake of a career, for the sake of an education? Because for me, there there's things in life, and I think Adin. Uh, equips us with that knowledge yeah. things that happen in life for a reason we have hadith that says marry a woman that can bear lots of children marry young women yeah and it's not off-putting people who marry later yeah but it, there's barakah and there's benefit in yeah. pursuing things like this because now looking back i'm so glad i had my children when i did mm. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, because now I'm able to enjoy it. And Alhamdulillah, I'm going to be a grandmother soon, inshallah. Wow, so, you know, I'm, uh, inshallah, yeah. while I'm still able to enjoy, we will be able to do that. Yeah. Um, there's, there's, there's barakah, there's mercy, there's rahmah, there's, there's so many things in following my body clock. Yeah. And, and how I've been created by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to carry that journey. Having a child at 40 and some of us do, and it's alhamdulillah wonderful, you can continue to do that. But if that's your first child, when there may have been an opportunity to have, I mean, I'm scared, I, I worry having conversations like this because every yeah. woman's journey is different. Yeah. And I think it's so important to recognize individuals as they are, yeah. their circumstances. But I, I guess what we're talking about it's is a general what kind should of, we be advocating as the norm, yes. right? So, and now yeah. I could advocate a norm, but it yeah. might not fit a sister's yeah. life. Yeah, yeah. 
at that point in yeah, time. Yeah, people have to take their yeah, own Yeah, so again, I think situation. we need to be respectful and, and, and inclusive mm. of individual uh, journeys and stories as well. So I can sit here and say, no, you shouldn't go to work, but there might be a dire need. She might be the one with more qualification than the husband. Yeah. And, and, and in a marriage where if she was to go to full-time work, would it negate... Uh, would it say that the father couldn't stay at home and be with the child? Would it lessen the experience of that child? So again, we need to, uh, you know, we're not yeah. shifting roles uh, and saying that he's the woman now and she's become the man in the relationship. But is it a phase? Is it circumstance? Yeah. Are is there it periods situation? when is certain period? things need to happen? But most importantly, mm. I think the relationship between the couple is so important. The conversation, the the arrangement, the the understanding that it, that exists between, because that will see them through that journey, and the narrative they create about each other to the children. Now, if the mother's going to work and the father is at home for a period of time, and the and the thing is that I'm useless. He's not a man. He's not being manly, and the society right. is feeding that. What will the children grow up yeah. thinking? Yeah, I don't want to be like him, and they go the opposite way where they disrespect the father right. and then the mother being seen as the man and wearing the trousers and is the decisions being made but she could be just going to work but alhamdulillah in the family the man is still the man hmm. making family decisions making those key uh facilitating those conversations and being the leader of the family house, yeah, yeah? Mm -hmm. so we just need to and again i think it goes back to tools and understanding and knowledge uh and being honest to yourself and the situation that you're in mm -hmm. and really being authentic. Why am I actually wanting to do what I want to do? Is it because so-and-so is doing it and I think I'm capable of doing more right. with a child at home? Or is it that actually for me, this is my focus and uh, rizq is from Allah, right. yeah, inshallah, yeah. you know, alhamdulillah. Whereas if I focus on this child now, the barakah will be in our relationship. And I don't even have to invest time on their teenagers when they're questioning who they are. So the reason for spending time with children right. when they're younger is you're investing in a relationship right. to go through the bottleneck of when they're going through the teenage years, although we don't believe teenagers exist in Islam, but they do go through hormonal changes. Adolescence. Biological, yeah. adolescence. So that time you have a relationship where you're able to say, shall we have a chat? Right. Because I, I think this? that's really important because what what many people, although sacrifice is a part of life, yeah. you know, sacri we sacrifice things now, mm. instant gratification in order to gain something later, right? Yeah. That's basically the story of life, yeah. <laughs> of yeah. a successful life. Um, but I think sometimes we over, we, we mention, we talk about um, motherhood and the investment in motherhood as too much of a sacrifice when actually it's an investment. Yes. Uh, what you're putting in yeah. is going to come out one day, yeah. you know, even if you, know, you don't live to see the fruits of your, you know, children growing up and etc. Even in your grave, you know, you will you'll benefit from the dua of that child. child. So. I really just feel, subhanAllah, it's just, uh, Dr. Myra, you know, I've had a few conversations with young moms mm. who are quite, perhaps they're going through some kind of postnatal depression or or they're just baby blues or something like that. But often they really don't, they haven't, the narrative hasn't been taught to them regarding 
what motherhood is mm. like why are you doing this why is this important mm. um and i think what that does is belittles, breeds yeah. yeah it belittles motherhood it, yeah. it breeds that sense of i'm not doing anything when actually you know what like subhanallah there's so many apart from obviously going to parenting courses and learning about uh, parenting techniques there's certain inbuilt things that yeah. Allah's put in us as mothers that we naturally do just the way we talk to our kids has a different effect than if a stranger was talking to them mm -hmm. just the way we play with them mm. uh the the love it's it's they feel it you know subhanallah mm. it's it's and it's building their brains literally yeah. building their brain connections right yes. i think um we've got to remind mothers how important they are and absolutely mm. um and i think you and i I'm, i'm this is a big assumption i'm making we have had the blessing of being raised in functioning families yeah um yeah. alhamdulillah where deen was a part a parcel of how we were raised um and that exists in a lot of families now and often i wonder why is it maybe it wasn't talked about as much when we were growing up but more and more question, children are questioning their faith coming from practicing families coming from mm. madrasa background coming from islamic education background uh agnostic you know sort of the atheism they they're questioning they question their identity gender fluidity there's so many things that are going on in our community is it because as families we are so afraid that our children will lose their deen that we become quite not militant but quite desperate in imparting our deen as a it's it's regimented it's right. it's, it's a bunch kind of, of rules a bunch of rules and yeah. so you know one of the questions i asked um mums to do when they go home is ask ask their children to describe them spiritually how do children teenagers see us as a spiritual being and one mom was sharing and i found it really interesting and it's it's a repeat that i i do here where the children say well mom i think you're quite religious mashallah you pray you fast you you paying a zakat you they are actions mm. but actually those teenagers don't like their mom very much when it comes to the behavior mm. so when we think about our spiritual self shouldn't our actions transform our behavior right that we are nice to our children things like being patient patient not losing uh, our temper yeah not yeah. losing our temper not judging them not being suspicious <laughs> uh not checking through their bags without their permission lying lying the small white lies that we say yeah. to protect something else and they don't see it. so they see you as a religious person but they don't because of a bunch of tick box, tick box uh, actions yeah. that you do exactly so as parents we're not just tick we're not a religious no. only we are also the other banakhlaq and all of that is yeah. so important in our it's not just rituals rituals yeah. and mm. so when we go to pray what our children see is we're rushing because we don't want to we're scared of the fire of hell yeah mm. i can't miss a salah how often do we come out of a salah and say i needed that yeah yeah that's grounded me and our children hear us say that because so that's true. your spiritual self Mm. Uh when I'm able to forgive my child and say you know wallahi I'm only forgiving you because I'm afraid uh of Allah not forgiving mm. me for the mistakes I might have made I'm forgiving you and can you imagine the forgiveness Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has for you 
the mercy, the the blessings, and they connect to Allah initially through you. Absolutely. Yeah. So us being at home as mothers, often you'll find mothers who are exasperated, who feel unappreciated, who feel unloved, who feel mm. um, unacknowledged. And if that's what stay-at-home motherhood is going to do to us, is it worth that journey? How do we enrich it? We need a collective. Yeah. We need to be with each other. We need to nurture each other's journey. We need to, and you're, and I, I agree with you. We need to tell each other this is brilliant. Yeah. Enjoy it. These I are actually, the joys. I actually went on a parenting course once, and the first whole part of it, the first day of it, was you working on yourself. Yeah, and I think that's what mindset. parenting courses are. You find out right. who you are. Yeah, I can yeah. imagine. SubhanAllah. Yeah. So I, I do think that that's really important, isn't it? Mm. Sometimes um, it's really easy for us, um, for anyone really, to, to blame yeah. their situation, their spouse, their family, their this, mm. their, the way I was brought up. There's so many things you can mm. blame. Mm. <clears throat> but I think once you just just say to yourself, you know what, I'm an adult. Yeah whatever's happened to me right i'm gonna find a way to deal with it um and whatever kind of shortcomings i feel that i have instead of blaming other things mm -hmm. you know let me let me get on top of this mm -hmm. let me find a way mm -hmm. through this because you know i have a mind and i have allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he he will help me if i take that responsibility on and seek help and seek a, a way out, a, a way to change my mindset and, and grow my mindset. Mm. So I think I think it's really important for all of us, um, but especially mothers and especially women in the community where, in, in a community that doesn't always value motherhood, right, in wider society, to work on our own mindsets mm. and, and actually question some of the, uh, some of the messaging that we mm. get you know, from wider society. Mm. So for example, I'll just give you a couple of examples. Like, okay, um, is it okay for me to live within my means? Mm. You know, yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a really basic question, yeah. right? But I think for our parents' generation, it our mothers, the yeah. they, would they would not have this attitude of, you know, you know what, oh, you know, I really want to have X, Y, Z, and because of that, now I'm going to have to sacrifice something that's more important yeah. for that, right? Now, I know, I'm, uh, like, like you said, we can't say, you know, one size fits all. However, unfortunately, that, that kind of notion of living within your means has become radical now. Mm. <laughs> and, and that's really strange, isn't it? Because as Muslims, subhanAllah, in, in all the books of, um, you know, uh, purification, and Zuhd, it talks about qana'a, mm. you know, this idea of living mm. and being satisfied with what you have. That's not to say you should not be ambitious or have aspirations, but that is to say that actually, probably the things that Allah has given you are enough for you, mm. you know, for you to get on with. Yeah. So I really think that some of these old, what people would think of as old, but mm. really Islamic kind of, attitudes and akhlaq uh we need to revive them mm, you know the, this idea of because subhanallah dr mahira you know even when we do when people do chase and chase and chase after dunya right so often 
They still don't feel chasing? satisfied. They still well, don't feel satisfied. What are they chasing? Right. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a story that's been sold to us. Yeah. That there's, there's a mirage there somewhere and, and it looks really great. Yeah. And you're feeling quite thirsty and you need to chase that. And and I, I just going back to what you were saying, uh, I find that really interesting is, you know, we need to get to a place where uh, it's, it's being grateful. Yeah? Gratitude, exactly. Gratitude. Mm. So it's being grateful. For some people, the journey before getting to that is a whole journey. Right. Because from my coaching, what I find is that a lot of the parents that come to me come with issues with children. My child's not behaving. My child doesn't respect me but actually you're you know as we were saying as you start to unpack it's about the luggage and the baggage that they're carrying mm. so somebody who needs to live within their means what was that experience for them right living in with within the means for their parents did it mean that they had to do without certain things so for some children it might be that everybody was wearing nike and i had to wear Sainsbury stuff or as mm. or whatever, yeah, something from the market. Gola, Gola, <laughs> yeah. So something from the market, and for yeah. me, that experience was really painful. Mm. I don't want my child to have that. So they start to overcompensate. In order to compensate and overcompensate, you need money. Yeah. So you will go after well, our generation does tend to do that. Yeah, you will With go Eve, after. You know, yeah. it's like you'll go after something go that will make your children happy. Mm. But in the process, what you've done is forgotten that that experience for me has made me grateful. Right. Okay? Yeah. Has made me grateful and I learned to share. Mm. For my child, what I'm giving them now is a journey of selfishness. Right. They're just spoiling them. You spoil them. Yeah. So the next time you say, well, honey, I can't afford that. They say, what do you mean? Get another job. (laughs) I have an experience of where I went to visit a family where the teenager says, why can't I have that? Dad can just do cabbing at night. Subhanallah, right? my son said that to us. Yeah, so can you can you see the, the journey of somebody who's yeah. coming to an experience of living in their means can then go totally where they don't actually want to go. Right. So because we, I, I get, I completely see what you're saying because sometimes, you know, we've grown up seeing other people go on holiday every year. Yeah. Um, and and this idea has been fed to us by the media as well. Must go on holiday yeah. every year or every holiday time, right? Um, and then we think that if we don't provide that for our children, they're going to be like scarred or something, right, yeah. <laughs> for life. Yeah. Yeah. When actually, actually, when I think when children look back on their childhoods, mm. the things that they remember are not the material things. No. It's the, it's the feelings. It's yeah. It's and, and this yeah. uh, this also this myth of quality time. You know, mm. when I say myth, what I mean is this idea that you can pack out your whole day and put a little slot in there for what you call quality time, and for that time to then fo- to force yourself to have that time. Okay, uh, I, I feel is is a myth because what what happens is is very contrived. Do mm. you know what I mean? Whereas the magic of of being a family and being, you know, uh, with your children, with your spouse, mm. the magic of it happens when you spend extended amounts of time mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just about a little schedule, a little mm. slotted time in your, although sometimes that might be necessary, mm. you know, at difficult times. I think we need to change our mindset. We need to change our sense of priority, yeah. you know, because sadly we might be raising children who value the wrong things mm-hmm. and um 
I might challenge a bit of that. Yeah, go ahead. Please. <laughs> so, well, 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 from my experience of uh, working in the community, and mm-hmm. I, I think this is where the spirituality and the deen actually are they separated? They mm-hmm. should be hand in hand. So your uh, suggestion that there should be extensive time that we spend, yeah, yeah, and that's there. So we are spending lovely time with our children, but each child has a different need. So mm. when you're spending that time together, mm-hmm. a teenager won't speak about their stuff in front of their younger sibling. That's true. They have some stuff they need to privacy. And you're teaching them that you're important enough for me to give you this time where we can bond. That won't oh, happen yeah. in the absence of a relationship. Mm-hmm. Because what parents try to do is create this quality time in the absence of a, a spiritual relationship. That has been built that over That has been built years. over. Yeah. So the fabric mm-hmm. of your family is that we're a team. And we're a team. But there are times where I suggest to, if you've got teenagers in the house, minimum at least twice a week where that child knows my mum's free, cl- decluttered here to focus on me. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And that's what Definitely. I term a special time, not in the absence of everything else. It's, yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. part and parcel of uh, a norm that happens in the family. Mm. So I remember, you know, growing up and it, that image, and you, you're so right about the feelings. So I just remember the Sunday mornings, particularly that we were talking about, that after Fajr, we would all be expected to read Quran together. I didn't like it very much growing time. up. Yeah. I just used to think, exactly. oh, I'm sleepy, I'm tired. Uh, as now children say, it's such a big deal. You know? But it, what I do remember is that what my dad would do is after we read Quran, we would go for a walk down the canal. So we had a canal next to us. We'd go down and walk. Aww. On the way back, there's a bakery. And to this day, us siblings, we still go and buy bread from that bakery. And so the bakery... Nostalgia. The, it's <laughs> nostalgia, <laughs> but it's a feeling of togetherness. So mm. that bake, the bread that we used to bring, we didn't have fancy jam. We didn't have... <laughs> all we knew so was anchor butter, yeah. right? So butter and the hot bread... Oh, wow. We just used to take a piece of bread and, you know, butter it and we used to eat. It's because of the love. It's the love. It's, it's yeah. that togetherness. It's yeah. the warmth of the I'm bread sure. and, mm. and breaking bread together. You know, just just this. And we felt like a team. And my mum instilled that concept of being a team mm. so much that she wouldn't even let us go to play outside when other kids were playing. When they'd gone home, she'd send us all out to play. You learn to play with each other. Right, right. You should think, well, why? It doesn't make sense. <laughs> but looking back on it now, yeah. it's gratitude. Yeah. But it's a journey. I don't think you'd appreciate it as a teenager. Mm. But what you do need are other people that will say to you, you will appreciate it one day. Yeah. Bear with it. Whereas now what we're saying to other parents is just give them mobile. Yeah. Otherwise they'll play up. Just give this. Lazy parenting. Yeah? Sorry. It's, it's, that's, it's, that's it's in, it. uninformed, lazy because we are not equipped to have those difficult conversations at home. We we Absolutely. haven't, you know, we. I, I'm afraid to have that conversation. Why aren't you praying? What if they turn around and say, I don't want to pray? I would rather right. just watch. So it's like avoiding avoidance. difficult it's avoidance. conversations, difficult conflict. conflict. Uh, do you think you're actually a Muslim? Sometimes we put our children up against the wall and ask them, I don't even think you're, I, th- I think you need to take your shahada again. Stuff and so, well, actually, I don't want to. What do you do then? We shouldn't have even put we that, shouldn't have even put that idea into yeah. their heads. So mm. the mercy and the love that we need to show our children mm. should be the base of relationships that can facilitate those difficult conversations. Absolutely. Um, and, and I think we're so, 
we are quite quick to write off children because we're not at a place mm. to deal with what they're posing for us. And that's our growth. If we're able to do that, we grow together. You see, tarbiyah is such an tarbiyah, ongoing it, thing, yeah, isn't it? It is ongoing. Like, subhanAllah, sometimes I think uh, mothers are like the voice in your head, yeah. you know, or you could be yeah. if you if you choose to be that. Yeah. So your your child wins something, your child succeeds at something. Who's gonna who's going to plant the thought in their head that look what Allah gave, gave you. you? Thank Allah. You know, so many things could have gone wrong, but it all worked out mm. for you. Mm. You know, who's going to who's going to give them that almost like uh, awakening to the you know the, the gifts that they have mm. if you know uh, we're not mindful and we're not present and we're not we don't see the role of motherhood as more than just feeding and cooking the right? physical yeah the <laughs> right physical, the physical yeah. nourishing right yeah. subhanallah i think sometimes i reflect back on like how did i know allah yeah you know and i think my mother she used to gather us together as children regularly and she used to make dua mm. and aloud so that in urdu you know yeah. so that we would know who is this allah you know how many of us it have all done goes that back to him yeah subhanallah how many of us do yeah. that we talk about allah you know mm. we say oh allah is the greatest allah created this allah did that allah and it's a, like you said a bunch of a list mm. it's a bunch of rules it's a bunch it's a list but when you actually sit with your mother and she's crying and she's calling on allah she's saying oh allah we are so sinful ya allah please ya allah forgive us mm. ya allah we we try our best but we still fall short ya allah oh allah thank you for the blessings you've given us and then she lists the blessings that you hadn't even thought yeah. of right mm -hmm. and then she goes through each member of the family and she kind of talks to you about oh allah you know our the, our father he's out all day he meets so difficult situations yeah. all the things that he does bless him make his uh, give us barakah in our rizq and she would go through each person mm -hmm. and Mashallah. you know you'd wait for your turn you know <laughs> what's she going to say about yeah. me and that whole experience subhanallah i understood and i felt allah more from that than somebody giving me a book yeah. about tawhid al-rububiyya uluhiyya asma and sifat and you know a bunch mm -hmm. of facts mm -hmm. you know which is unfortunately subhanallah the other day in, in the bookshop i saw a book a book of tawhid and i thought okay this is going to connect children to allah <coughs> and all it was was basically a bunch of a bunch Rituals of, uh, let's say, jargon. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, you know, yeah. for a child, yeah. Yeah. that's not going to build their iman. Mm -hmm. They don't know who Allah is by knowing that there's these different categories and this and that. And it goes back and then again to done. practice. Subhanallah. So our practice of making dua, you as a child sitting there expecting your name to be called, so your significance in her life. Right. So you feeling significant in your parents' life, but also she has made you significant in Allah's eyes. Yeah. So each person has that significance in that relationship. It's again about relationships and how we build our children's relationships to us first. So that tarbiyah for many families do come, but it's after gratifying our ego first. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, was it that I helped you that you got your grades? You know, I told you to revise and look what the benefit it's had. Mm -hmm. So we try to nourish our ego first before we say, you know, Allah has facilitated this for you and be grateful. Whereas that should be first. 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala should be first in our conversation with our child. Right, right, that, right. You know, even when they've made a mistake, it could have been so worse. Allah has your back. Yeah. SubhanAllah. Do two like a sugar prayer. Exactly. So those kind of things are so Who's important. Who's going to say that? Who's going to say that? If, if, if we're not mindful. Yeah, then. if we're not mindful. And, um, and that needs to exist. And I think the you know, I talk about extended families quite a lot, the uncles and the mm-hmm. aunts and the grandparents. Um, and many parents nowadays will say that, alhamdulillah, we have become practicing. Yeah? My family are not. I have a drug somebody who's abusing drugs I have somebody who smokes I have somebody who's not as they should be how they dress so there's always issues that might influence my children what do I do yeah how do I give them access and unfortunately then what happens is your children are then isolated and we haven't even spoken about uh, families in conflict you know divorce separation life for those children uh, and the relationship between the adults so ultimately what happens is children grow up creating some narratives about people in their family um, and when they get the chance they want to know so they're curious so when they do go out and then they find out no uncle actually is a nice person but he's struggling with something yeah mm. or uh, okay dadu might be you know grandmother might be like this but she didn't know any better this is after a conversation and and uh, finding out for themselves what then tends to happen is that child starts to resent the parents because they've missed out on all these years of relationship. Now, I understand we need to protect our children from negative influence. And research shows that there's benefit in, you know, sort of navigating that space for them. But there is a way of doing that where you can have honesty around it, not half-baked conversations, so that you create fear in your children that keeps them away from certain people. Yeah, mm. which is uh, very wrong and it's not Islamic. You have made an uh, Islander in some sense. Can you give me an example? Yeah? So an example would be that your uncle isn't good for you. Uh, oh, right. he's, yeah, you, I don't want you to spend time with your uncle because, or an aunt or whoever it is. They don't dress properly. They are not uh, good in the sight of Allah. And this may influence you. They're smoking, they're doing this, they're doing that. Yeah. What they haven't maybe added to that is, you know, that's the person. These are their actions. The person mm-hmm. is kind. The person is generous. The person will come to you with a snap of a finger. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. To protect you. However, I just am worried about their behavior. Right. Separate the behavior. Separate from the behavior from the, uh, the person. Especially when it's a relative. When it's a relative, yeah. when it's a neighbor, whoever mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whatever your child brings to you, first unpack what's the person like? Yeah. What are you talking about? Are you talking about the person? the akhlaq of that person, yeah. again, it's just action. Mm. If they have said they're a believer and they are a Muslim, yeah. even if they're not, you have, might have non-Muslim families, are they kind, are they generous, Are they? Yeah. who are they? So as a person, they might be wonderful. But then you focus on the action. So next time you go, can mm. you say to your uncle, uncle, don't smoke when I'm there. So you start to equip your child Absolutely. to yeah. be the change maker. Excellent, and yeah. that breeds and builds their identity. <laughs> and usually they can get away with it. They well. can get away with it where you can't. <laughs> yeah. Whereas that adult knows you are the gatekeeper to that child keeping mm. that relationship away. So any chance they'll find, they will try to connect or they mm. will alienate. And it's not good for the child, ultimately, because I've seen time and time again where what you've tried to do backfires mm. and you end up being the not-so-good person because you've made somebody blacklisted, someone 
Um, and you didn't tell me that they were a nice person. They actually love me. Right. As a niece. You're, you're denying you're your denying child the love of that person. The love of that person, the connection of that person. When that, the maybe the bad thing that they're doing or the bad yeah. habit or whatever it is. It can is be not, managed. Right. And it's not the whole of that person. No, the whole it's of that one person. aspect of them. Yeah. And that could yeah. be a trigger to change the other mm. person. Absolutely. You could be yeah, yeah. That the, relationship, the, the, that... the relationship, the respect and the honour. Yeah, you've given to true. that person will breed in your child how they honor and respect the next homeless person they may see right. which society has written off mm. yeah and they start to see actually i'm a part of that problem if i go and speak to that person maybe i can find out their story rather than throwing pennies at them right yeah or not paying pennies because yeah. they'll misuse it so we create social construction we call it you know narratives around situations and people and we actually try to feel a part of our vessel we're uncomfortable with through our child. Yeah. And and that's not a good place to be at. And sometimes it takes a bit of support to be able to understand what you're doing. Um, mm. You know, I've had parents who have, um, a child says, my mom doesn't love me. I've tried everything. And, uh, and child I, saying that. A child. So I do a course with young people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, one of the questions we look at is, uh, and I share the story of, uh, how difficult it is, you know, the verse in the Quran, uh, pain upon pain. <coughs> what does that mean? Mm-hmm. So say to the children, you know, as a mother, I can share parts of this story with you. This is how difficult night shifts are, breastfeeding, walking around when you're, you know, you get heavier and it's it's hard work. And one of the things they say is, well, we didn't know this. First right. of all, mm-hmm. we just know that it was hard. But through biology, we might le- learn why. Yeah. But actually, emotionally, what it did for my mother or my father, I don't know. So that's the first part. The second thing that they mention is, what is it that whatever we can never do anything that's ever good enough in the sight of my parents? All right. Hmm. We're never good enough. It's There's another milestone that's been created. Another hurdle that I have to... <laughs> another person they're comparing another you person to. Another person they need to... Compa- <laughs> yeah, they need to uh, be nice or good to or another mm. A-star. Um, and there was one particular story I remember of a, a, a girl that she was saying, you know, I really feel my mom doesn't like me. Subhanallah. I really feel my mom doesn't like me. I really feel whatever I do, she finds a, a, a point of hers to... F- uh, pick out the negative how she can say to me that I'm not good enough and so we ended up having coaching uh, with the mum and uh, what transpired was that she was a single parent and her child reminded her of her, of her ex-husband well, the father of the child mm-hmm. so whenever she was in the company of this child memories would flood back and come back mm-hmm. and so she's not rejecting the child she doesn't know how to deal with her experience so her child, even if she smiled, it would remind. Um, and when the daughter started to understand that, first of all, there was a lot of anger. Yeah. That it's not my fault. Yeah. yeah. So there had to be a lot of family coaching mm-hmm. to get them to a place that how do you overcome that every time she comes near you, you don't flinch. Every time it's the body language. It's what we don't say often affects our children. Mm. So it is important that if we are going through conflict, to give a reasonable explanation to your child that says difficulties. We will work through it. It's not about you. Mm. Yeah? Um, and and it may result in something you might not expect, but this is something that they need to be a part of. Otherwise, they start to self-doubt and they think it's about them uh, and they can't understand. And, they, and 
it then breeds a whole cycle of issues for that child. Mm. Because if you can't connect to your parent, there's connection issues, there's attachment issues, and it will continue in in that child's life as well. So there's, there's and and it goes back to do we need courses? You know, do we need yeah. support? And I think we all do. We all have uh, experiences of how we shape stories. So there's nine of us. And each of us, we could have all been sitting in the same room, but we've taken a different experience away. It's absolutely true. Right? Yeah. And if we don't share those experiences, we're not able to say to them, but could you think from another perspective? Mm. So as a sibling, sometimes you remember yeah. something. Yeah, yeah. And your sibling remembers like, it a completely different about? way. Like yes, yeah. you had a great experience. They had yeah. a terrible experience. And, and there's no point saying, well, you're wrong. No. But you that's their sort of... that's their perception that's, that's how they, they truth. lived it yeah, yeah that's yeah. their truth mm. so it's important to have those conversations to work out each other's truths and why yeah and why mm. and come to a place where you can accept and disagree but accept that this was our but how do we move forward um dr mahira uh, yeah i completely uh, agree with you with the especially with the teenagers you know having that one-to-one time and yeah uh, when i was talking about um uh, quality time not being just little slots. Yeah. Uh, I was actually, I, I didn't mean no, that, yes. that kind of example. I was actually drawing on um, uh, something that a psychologist Dr. Steve Bidolf talks about in his book, um, Raising Raising Happy Children, mm. I think. Uh, he talks about the myth of quality yeah. time. But what he means is this idea that you can spend most of your day doing something completely different, different yeah. and draining all your energy yeah. into all of that and then just slotting your kids yeah. in. It's not pretentious. Right. That can be pretentious. Yeah. yeah. And the child knows it. So that's, that's it. what he meant yeah. and that's what I meant yeah. by yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. But absolutely, I think each of our children need to have one-to-one -one yeah. time with their parents mm. because their dynamic when they're together is completely different, different, you know, to when you've got yeah. them on fully focused, one-on-one, -on -one, mm. like you said, undivided attention, um, and they get so much out of that, mashallah. They do, yeah. they do, mashallah. And it's 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 very grounding. Mm. Uh, uh, and I always say, you know, as human beings, we look for three things: uh, we look for connection, we look for belonging, and we look for direction. Um, and these, the if any one of those are missing, you see restlessness. Connection, direction, direction, and, and belonging. belonging. Wow, um, and these are three things I found from my research, you know, the conclusion that I've come to and I kind of uh, promote and uh, and I believe from from what I've read from uh, Islam and from practice uh, and from research is that if any one of those are missing or shaky, you'd have restlessness in the individual. And then they start to uh, chase after things that they think is going to give them that. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So if you if if it's belonging, your children will start to seek other friends, gangs, and you know outside company. Whereas if they know that they have a sense of belonging at home, that's the rope that pulls them back in. Right. Uh, when they should come in, because mm. they know mummy's going to miss me, not she's going to tell me off. Right. Yeah. So I'm going to be missed. Or actually, I was given a chore. If I don't do that chore, so and so is not going to get their meal. 
so there's a connection, mm. yeah. So the the belonging creates a connection, and those relationships we talked about the the um, the spirituality, the the dean being embedded in the spiritual self, uh, is really important because that then when you want the one to one time, it's natural, it's authentic, and it's it's enriching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it shouldn't be replacing uh, something else. So normally, what happens is when you have conflict in the family, mm. you ask for a one to one. So you're already going into that one-to-one on a negativity. Right. Whereas when you have those one-to-ones, to bring up a negativity is not a big deal. It's a part and parcel of our time together. Right, right, right. We can, we can advise each other. We can guide each other, you know. And that's also where the direction comes mm. because you get to know the person, yeah? yeah? So you have an individual direction, but you also have a collective direction. So in order to create that belonging, the the sense of uh, connection and uh, togetherness, the the direction, you need you need to uh, advocate and facilitate in families the family time, and we mm. both shared the boundaries of family time that we've experienced mm. growing up. Yeah, that's right. Uh, alhamdulillah. Sometimes when you have lots of siblings, you might not get that from your parents. The one to one time, you get it from siblings, elder siblings, elder well. siblings, yeah. younger siblings. So I got a lot of the one to one nurturing from my older siblings who would where I found my direction Mm. where they would say to me you know this is your gift this is your talent this is the skill that's is giving you yeah Yeah. what does beauty mean is it the physical beauty or is it the inner beauty so the such enriching conversations Mm. where I used to go away and think well what that guy is doing I'm not interested Mm. because I have value where it means something they're not going to disappear the next day Whereas if you don't like something in me tomorrow, you might disappear, yeah? So the consolidating those feelings are so important. Mm. Um, and I, I guess for me, in a marriage, in a, in a sort of a family setting, um, to create those three things, there are other five things I would uh, promote. Ah, are those your five, five P's, P's to fulfilling relationships? Yes. Please share them with us. So sure. those really, I mean... Normally, I, I, I cover these five Ps in the couples course mm-hmm. uh, as a start. And I think that's where it starts. But actually, it's, it's in any relationship. Mm-hmm. So for me, the first thing I would focus on is the prayer. And you talked about the dua. Spine. But actually, where is our focus? Ultimately, where is our thread of connection? It's to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In the sight of Allah, we are all worshippers. And that's mm-hmm. our main duty. Yep. I have created you to worship me. You know, yeah. and, and that's our main role. So in the family, we all know... One day it's just going to be Yanafsi. I'm only going to think about myself. So in order to do that, I need you to help me. Yeah. So this mm-hmm. is where the team spirit comes in. So the prayer, the if, prayer. if there's any possibility mm. of praying together at home, doing the art together at home, you know, really, really uh, emphasize on that. To Establish bring, the prayer in your home. Yeah. Too. And I have an example of a mother, lovely example. She said, when things get really difficult at home, she just looks at everybody and says, you know what, let's do a gratitude circle. Oh. Yeah, let's just do a gratitude circle. No one can deny that. So then she gets everybody around. Whoever's in the room, she won't try and call others from the other room. In that situation, whoever's involved, just sit on the carpet, wherever you are, let's do a gratitude circle. So what you've done is then taken the conflict out to get to a place where you can deal with it. So you, you're mm-hmm. regulating, yeah? You're mm-hmm. re- regulating your emotions, your yourself to be at that place. We then, I think, as, as a family, there needs to be some things that you plan together. Planning needs to happen. So that's the second P. 
So what kind of things are you planning in the family? Uh, and the mm. third piece, progress. So in a way, are you stagnant as a family? Yeah. In order not to be stagnant, there needs to be planning. So it's a little bit of a cycle. Yeah. yeah. So planning and progress uh, are the two, third, second and third P's. So when you're planning, we tend to, as parents, focus on the academic side <clears throat> and the adab side and the, the thing. As a, but actually, as parents, planning should also include what are you contributing? Yeah. What is your contribution? What, how does society benefit from you? How does your family benefit from you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what, what role do you play as, as an individual in the greater picture? Right. Okay. So the plan and the and the progress. Uh the fourth I would say is this pact. As a family there needs to be a, a pact. Mm -hmm. That it, it's like a, your family rules. What are your top three core values you're going to live your life by as a family? Yeah. Oh, I really like that. Yeah. It's either three sure. values or five rules or whatever. You know you have these ground rules and classroom rules, but our family, where are our rules? It's in our parents' heads. They swap and change, They, you know, according to our mood and mm. where we are. So having this pact, when we make these um, rules together, uh, these value systems together, we sign up to them, you know, hand on hand. It's a buyer. We, 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 we sign up <laughs> to this and, uh, and we'll live by it. What that does is helps the parents to put in consequences, agreed consequences. So it's a learning. Every opportunity is a teaching moment in parenting, I believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, rather than being a fight, it's an opportunity. How can I teach my child to be a better person? Which means I need to regulate myself. So this this pact is this team effort. There's a safe space. This is where we bring it together. This is where we fight, love, you know, and we have it out, so we can deal with the big bad world out there. Mm -hmm. um, so the pact, and the last thing I would say is to protect. So the fifth P, I say, is to protect. So whatever happens, we protect each other's honor. Wow. We yeah. protect each other's dignity. Mashallah. And we respect each other. Yeah? So important. Yeah. yeah. So this, this, this protection, like we say, is garment for one another. <clears throat> it's not fixed. It flows with you. It <clears throat> bends with you. It takes your curves as it should. So it means there's understanding. Uh, there's there's conversation. There's... there's uh, mutual respect and honor so if you can remember that in a family as your um you know the way you protect each other yeah then you wouldn't go and belittle each other yeah absolutely you wouldn't go and no say, matter what happens no matter what happens within your family like when you're having an argument yeah you might highlight somebody's faults blah yeah. blah blah but now to take that outside yeah um these are your rights, yeah? You protect yeah. each other's rights right. as, as individuals, um, and which includes honouring. Because it's so easy, isn't it, Dr. Mahara, that for parents to, because, you know, when they're little, they're, they're babies, we talk, yeah. we talk about them all the time. Yes, like, absolutely. But even, but as they get older, you know, things change. And uh, we have, to, subhanAllah, sometimes, um, you know, I might tell m one of my kids off, and then my mom's, my parents have come round, and the kids might be worried, like, you know, are, are, is, are they going to discuss yeah. anything about me? Yeah. But I'll completely let go of that mm. and start talking about the great things that that, yes. <laughs> that, yeah. that child's been that's doing, right? isn't it? And yeah. I want him and, or I want her to realise that, you know what, I've got your back. Yeah. 
And I love you. I care you. about you. When I tell you off, I know it's not pleasant, but it's I, I love you and I care about you so much that now that somebody from the outside is here, mm-hmm. you know, outside our little family, mm-hmm. I'm only going to tell them about the good things yeah. because that's between us. Mm-hmm. We're, we're going to sort that out. Yeah. And I think the message that we give our kids when we do that is, I believe in you. Mm. But uh, you're also honouring yeah. them. Mm. And you're respecting you're important. them. You're, you're, you're important. worthy of yeah. respect. Yes. Mashallah. Yeah. And, and it just takes me back to a story, you know, an experience I had when um, my, one of my brothers, the, the, Mashallah, he also has nine children. Mashallah. Mashallah. And his wife, I, I remember my sister-in-law was changing her baby. And it was, we had a family gathering. So there was kids walking in and out, uh, us walking in and out. But she, it was really, uh, she was really irritable. My my sister in law, not irritable in a negative way, but she was she was getting quite agitated. Agitated, mm. that's the word. And um and so I said to her, "Baby, are you okay? What's wrong?" She said, "Oh, I'm just trying to change." And she, it was a little daughter. I'm just trying. I don't think it would have made a difference what gender the baby is, but she was changing the baby. And I said, "What's wrong?" She said, oh, "I'm just trying to change the baby." I said, "Oh, don't worry. You know, we're not looking. Um, and it's okay. It's a baby." She said, "No, it's not okay. I am responsible for safeguarding." my daughter's honour and dignity and their hire. Mm. Where else will she learn from? And I thought that was such a beautiful example mm. of the role that we have as parents, that when they are little, it's not okay to talk about them mm. as we wish. It's not okay to have them while I tell little white lies on the phone saying, if they pick up the say, phone, say, just tell them I'm not here. Yeah. yeah? So it's, it's those little things that actually create the bigger picture exactly and that's why i call my book the family jigsaw because it's not just one piece that creates a child it's a set of experiences it's a it's a whole load of you know suitcase of experiences that develop a child to become this inshallah wonderful adult that we want to see them and uh, and we can't do it alone you know, we do need to find them role models. We need to find them mentors. We need to find good teachers. Mm. Uh, and that's part of our engineer, social engineering that we might do. But ultimately, they need to be supported uh, in order to understand these five. I'm sure there's lots of things, but for me, I've come up with these five. They're beautiful. Can you, can you just repeat the five again? Yeah, so quickly? the prayer, prayer, the connection to Allah, uh, the plan. So we plan. need to plan together as family to uh, progress so progress. we need to see some progression in that uh, a pact a pact a family so pact a, a family pact a couple pact as you venture on that journey to become the family and the last one is to protect protect uh, each other's uh, honour to be able to do that mashallah well jazakillah khairan Dr. Mahara I subhanallah you know inshallah we, we must have you back because um, I, I would love to speak to you about um, conflict and marriage and you know how to overcome inshallah. issues there because mashallah you are an expert and we really appreciate you being here i feel honored to be here alhamdulillah and i'm sure our listeners and viewers will agree that you know mashallah that was a a very fruitful discussion jazakillah khairan for especially for the five p's they were just amazing you know mashallah i'm definitely going to be implementing those inshallah uh brothers and sisters uh that's the end of another episode please share and like and spread the good word about Ilmfeed podcast. Mashallah, we were trending number one in quite a few countries uh, in the Islam category, uh, all over Europe, um, especially. So, you know, 
help us to spread the word, to spread the goodness, to spread the inspiration that we're trying to spread. Uh, and with that, I will bid you farewell. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika ashadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.